Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson. Joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. It is a Thursday afternoon, Kevin, and one of those afternoons where we are squeezing the possible 30 minutes that we have in our week to podcast. Here we are. Hello. I think we'll save time. I don't know why there's feedback, but I'll fix it and keep talking. I think we'll save time because I didn't watch the All-Star game. It's true. (laughs) I kind of tuned in here and there. Saturday night was... Now Saturday night has turned into the so the skills competition was always something for me where if you combined like 90 seconds together of the most eventful stuff it was pretty fun but it takes 45 minutes. Now All-Star Saturday night is the whole thing where it's like there's seven good minutes in there for a 5-hour thing, <laughs> 4-hour thing and that's how it was there. Shout out Mac McClung, everyone ducked him. That's why there were no notable names. I knew what <laughs> Mac true. was bringing. That's my hot take. Of the All-Star break. We anticipated, like many Suns fans, this would be the Kevin Durant is back. His debut is coming tomorrow podcast here on Thursday afternoon. It is not. Kevin Durant has been ruled out of tomorrow's game by the Suns. So you're sure? Sham sure? Sharania. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I'm not even going to. Monty uh, said that he participated in everything today. Five on five scrimmaging. Going to listen to the training staff. And some fans took that as, oh, well, that sounds like he could still play tomorrow. That is not what it means. He's ruled out tomorrow. But the reporting that we're looking at right now, Sham Sharania reported they're looking at Wednesday, I believe. Brian Windhorst uh, a day earlier kind of painted out the timeline of looking at Sunday uh, or Wednesday, kind of Sunday at Milwaukee at Charlotte on Wednesday. And then I believe it is at Chicago on Friday. Is it bull? I know the Mavs are the end of the trip. How do I count? At Chicago on yes, Friday, at then, Dallas on Sunday. Yeah. And then home on Wednesday, March 8th, 8th, against Oklahoma City again. So you still get the OKC narrative. That game is not on national television for now. Uh, we'll see. But it looks like Kevin Durant's uh, debut for the Suns will be on the road. Makes me sad. Makes a lot of people who bought their tickets uh, for Friday's game sad. So instead of talking about that, uh, we will be more kind of previewing in depth what Kevin Durant brings to the Suns because we've done so much widespread, broad, nonspecific, zoomed out discussions of KD where I had a story go up two or three days ago, which was the most in-depth thing I've written this year on the team, looking at all of the roles in the Suns offense, or not all of them, but a lot of them, the key ones, the key sets that they run and how he fits into those and how seamless it will be for a transition for him. And then I'll have a site, uh, a story up, hopefully by the time you're listening to this on the defensive side, not going to be nearly as in depth, but Hey, Kevin, uh, Kevin Durant's a really good defensive player and he can protect the rim. And not a lot of people know that. Uh, how many I'll, uh, I'll start there. I want to start on the defensive end, um, but we should, we should begin with a Western conference standings update. Did it, did it, did it, did it. We, we should get a sounder. We should talk to could have, yeah, JB, JB about it. 
The standings as we enter the uh, after the All-Star break. The Suns have 22 games left in the regular season. They are fifth. They are nine and a half games back of the Nuggets. That is out of reach. But as we talked about going into the break, they are four and a half back from Memphis in second, a game and a half back from the Kings in third, and a half game back of the Clippers in fourth. They have a game lead on the Mavericks in sixth, and then a game and a half lead on the Pelicans and the Timberwolves in seven, eight. Warriors are two games back in the nine spot, and then OKC currently holding the 10 spot is two and a half back so there is separation that is starting to occur from the top half to the bottom half of the conference in terms of the 12 to 13 teams we're focusing on in this bracket but I think we're going to start to see some real separation here in the first eight to ten games like I I expect by the last week of February we're going to last week of March rather that we are going to start to see uh, that real separation kind of begin I don't think we're going to see this all the way up until the regular season are did health updates. Uh, Steven <laughs> Adams halfway through his timeline on his injury. Of course, that was a big loss for Memphis. The big one over over the break was Zion Williamson re-aggravated his hamstring injury. They're calling it multiple weeks. Like it doesn't even sound like it's clear if he's going to return for the start of the playoffs. Like every you just can't look at that anymore. The Steph injury that we talked about, uh, where I tried to mumble jumble through what it was called uh, on the reports. He is still out as of now. Uh, this is right around his reevaluation timeline, all that kind of stuff. So we'll wait and see on Steph. It seems like he's pretty close, as is Maxi Kleba in Dallas. Uh, Tim McMahon had the tweets out uh, at Dallas practice yesterday. Kleba said he's not quite there yet, but he's very close. So it sounds like he could be back. He doesn't blend in with those. He's more of an Adams than a Zion or a Steph, but he is also a very important, underrated part of what Dallas is going to be doing now in the, in the Kyrie Luka era. And then a weird one today, Kevin, just a random one I wanted to throw in there since I was looking all this stuff up. Portland got stuck in a blizzard for so long that Damian Lillard recorded a freestyle <laughs> rap video on the plane because I'm sure that I can't imagine how bored they were. Um, and, and that guy can rap anyway. They're just resting. Good. They're resting Damon Grant today because they spent so much time like Dead stuck on a plane, plane. <laughs> that they don't want to risk it. That's that's because I remember C.J. McCollum, president of the of the associate uh, presidents of the president of the players association. There it is, tweeting something along the lines. There was another team that had to do that, like play the same day they flew in or whatever, and CJ was like, I can't imagine my legs doing that or something. It was him or Josh Hart. I can't remember who it was exactly. But uh, that's what Portland is going through right now. That obviously appears to be a short-term thing. Uh, This is what Chris Haynes just uh, tweeted. Trailblazers arrived at an airport on Wednesday around 2.45 to take off for Sacramento. They stayed on the plane for the next seven hours and then went home due to traffic. That's the like a nightmare for some players was up to two hours. They returned to the airport this morning at 9 a.m. Didn't take off until two. And now they're back in Sacramento, I guess, or they're flying. They just like completed their flight to Sacramento. They're flying to Sacramento right now. So if I'm doing my math right, that's 12 total hours of like waiting in a plane or waiting for a plane. I thought the blizzard warning was just some video game thing I didn't know about because I'm old and I, it was nice out today. So that sucks. I'm sorry if you're blizzard in wherever you are. Sorry. Anyway, enough weather talk. No, it stinks. Stinks, brother. Hope everyone's doing okay out there. I can't. It's 45 out right now and I'm 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 pantsed up. I'm hoodied up like I'm. I'm freezing, so I can't even imagine. Blizzards don't seem real to me. <laughs> I saw Catherine Fitzgerald, our friend, post a video of just like her window frozen. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. No, thank you. 
Seems awful. Let's talk about the Kevin Durant guy. Yeah. Not playing tomorrow. Campaign is questionable. That's a big one. We'll talk more about that next week because I think we'll have more of an idea of when he is playing exactly, how he's looking. That goes without saying. I wanted to start on the defensive end, Kevin, with a quick thing on the other Kevin. Who do you think has more block shots per game this year? DeAndre Ayton or Kevin Durant? Yeah, Durant. What would you guess DeAndre's number is this year? How many games have they played? Just blocks per game for Dur- for uh, DeAndre. We're at 60. Uh, 55. 50, 50, 50. 50. No, per game. How many per game? Oh, sorry. I'm just doing bad math. Uh, so that's like 0. 0.8, 0. Point, 0.9. Point 0.8. What would you guess Durant's number is? 1.1? 1. 1? Durant is averaging a block and a half a game. Oh. Aiden's at 0. 0.7. He's, he's doubling him up. Yeah. This is not meant to dunk on DeAndre as a shot blocker because he is still a very good rim protector, but I don't think people realize how I I know. I know for a fact the majority of the people listening, and these are a lot of hoop heads like us who watch League Pass, who have seen Kevin Durant play hundreds of times. I don't think people understand how good he is defensively. Uh, The story has more quotes in it from Monty, from DeAndre, from Book on the type of effect that it could have on the team. Because the whole discussion around this trade, Kevin, rightfully so, was centered in on Mikel Bridges leaving. Who guards Dame? Who guards John Morant? Who guards Jamal Murray? Who guards Steph? Who guards CJ McCollum? Rightfully so. But there are more possibilities now with Kevin Durant um, at the four and DeAndre yeah. at the five. Those are two seven-footers. Like, I... I can say now, seeing it with my own eyes up close, even if he's on the other side of the room, like that dude is not is not six ten. He is he is a seven footer. So you have a twin towers kind of thing going here. Um, and Monty made sure to answer it in the way that I thought he would, which was which was kind of what I wanted, honestly. Which like was like he's still learning how our like backside rotations work, <laughs> so we just need to like slow down before we do anything crazy. But then Brendan Clean followed up behind me. And just mention like DeAndre can switch, known to switch. So does that open that up? Like you can just have DeAndre switch more. Uh, DA said like KD told him like go switch. Like I got you. Like every time when they were doing it in scrimmage already. So there's just a lot of different possibilities defensively that they can do because they have a guy. They have one seven footer with a seven six wingspan who moves like a guard, and then they've got another seven footer with a seven five wingspan that moves like a guard. Yeah. Two two things. One, if we assume that the Josh Kogi experimentation as kind of the fifth guy is going to continue at least to start here that does put KD basically he has to play the four because of Kogi you'd think okay he's on the perimeter guy he's going to go off even if it's a bigger dude and then the second thing where you talked about switching because I think we talk about the Mavs were a bad matchup right the Mavs space five guys out and let someone whether it's Kyrie now or Luca cook DA like DA's biggest problem still is when he gets in a funk defensively when teams start pulling him out making him defend stretch power or stretch fives or power forwards but now you just avoid that completely because you just say switch and to be clear you're talking about the mind games of defending a pick and pop big not him moving his feet on the perimeter right because moving his feet on the perimeter we, we he's pretty good at that that's the part where everyone listening knows like that's a good whenever a ball handler like we saw reggie jackson the first couple of games of the western conference finals being like oh okay and then by game five and six he was not doing he was not going mm-hmm. at him anymore because he knew where it was going and to your point it's like, just going to yeah. be a lot more fluid now, I think. Yeah, I think you, DA 
they can avoid getting in that funk and avoid why that specific Mavs team made that team might made a good Suns defense look so just terrible. Um, and that has continued into this year. And other teams with stretch bigs have done that, where DA just gets in his own head, um, trying to decide, okay, am I going to hedge long enough? Um, but or am I going to recover? Do I have time to recover? Like, if you just say, look, dude, just switch with KD and just cover whoever you have to cover and worry about, let someone else worry about the backside, I think that's going to be huge for that biggest thing. But the other token of it is just plugging in a seven, like you said, seven footer where Jay Crowder, and obviously Jay Crowder had two years. Devin Booker was probably their best weak side room protector. Yeah. Because DeAndre can't be a weak side room protector because he's. Jay the, wasn't, the, the but Jay protector. was a good off ball directing stuff. But like once KD at least gets like his own job in the mind through these 20 games might take a little longer than that, then you would think that that's going to be really beneficial. I'm going to go out on a whim here and make a prediction. I think that the... Now, the timing will be interesting. Let's say Durant comes back for the Dallas game. Well, you would certainly want Okogi out there to defend Luka Doncic or... More, more uh, importantly, you would want him to out there to defend Kyrie Irving. So well, maybe it'll be it'll be matchup dependent. And Monty hinted at that. I think they're going to start Tory Craig. I think that they like the size that it presents more. And I know people really want to see a Kogi starting, and I understand why. Um, and and I think there's some drawbacks that I, I don't think people quite understand, which I'll explain more uh, on the offensive end here in a second. But defensively, Tory gives you so much size that they can sort of become this physical come in here if you want with the paint like yeah come in here see what happens like that guy Dion, the seven footer over there might come over the seven footer over there might come over if you like come in here thinking you're going to get a rebound we have that guy uh tory craig at the three or who plays the three or the four who cares like yeah. one of them is the three it's probably tory's a smaller guy he's a great rebounder and all of a sudden this team that sort of not really kind of had a rebounding problem in the past that just gets cleaned up because Kevin Durant is a good rebounder as well. Guess what, everyone? He, he's, he's, he might. He's, he was like one of the best rebounders in college basketball, and he still carries that. Like physically, it's different in the NBA for him. But another thing he's underrated at, I think. If he wanted to like focus more on rebounding, he could average ten a game. What's he at? He's at seven right now. Yeah, he's lifetime seven point one a game. Yeah. I think, yeah, he could average 10. And that's without anything on the offensive glass. That's like half a half an offensive rebound a game, which is another interesting part. Because he's wonder, floating and doing all the offense, yeah. I wonder if he'll he'll start to do more of that stuff, too. Uh, I'm curious to see a couple parts of that defensively. Um, but the size element as well, it's like, okay, Luca, we're going to... We're going to switch everything. So if you want to try and like do your shoulder, because you're not, you're not faster than those guys. So if you want to do the physical wear down effect i'm gonna just like dribble through the contact to get within 14 feet six feet use the pivots use the touch you're gonna have to get through john drayton's chest you have to get through kevin durant's chest and you're gonna have to get through tory craig's chest another misconception about kevin durant that he had to overcome for his whole career was he strong coming into the league no he is strong i want we've seen guys try and back him down like can Giannis back him down yes Giannis can back down a semi truck but like you you understand what i'm saying like he's Kevin Durant is stronger than guards and, and wings. Like he is strong, like a four should be. And I think that defensively, they can sort of change their identity now a bit. 
but it's going that is the everyone's talking about the 20 games thing and I think they're all thinking about offense it's like no defense like they have to see how far they can get defensively can you get far enough because I could tell the part of the, the way we were asking the questions and especially Brennan's follow-up on the switching I could tell Monty was the don't skip steps Greg Popovich thing was going yeah. through his head because they just have to get Durant into their terminology their verbiage and more importantly their rotations because me the common basketball um, person watcher uh, he pointed out like TJ Warren like missing a couple backside rotations in the last game they played and like I didn't see that uh, like I, I don't know <laughs> so like there's there's a lot of like basic stuff that we don't understand as people who aren't coaches and players in the league that they are going to have to get Durant on the same page with them and if that takes like three games or five games or ten games then in the back half of the regular season you can be like okay when we switch like let's do this and let's switch it more often let's try it against the Charlotte Hornets and not give the Bucks anything and that gives you yeah if the faster it develops the more time for nuance but what if we fight through put Durant on their weakest player so he can be Mikel's free safety you know what you know what I mean and now Mikel being free safety was like he would just like jam doubles and like get his hands on stuff Durant would be like I'm gonna sw- if anyone comes in here it's getting sent in the fourth yeah. row again like he's a really good defensive player I don't think I think people are going to be really surprised by that. So I want to hammer on that a bit. But then offensively, of course, this is more where I would point towards the story. Yeah, I went through Mikel Bridges, Chris Paul, De- uh, Devin Booker and DeAndre and everything that they do in the offense. Um, I'll say quickly on Chris Paul. My favorite part of the story was the back to back possession I found against Indiana where he ran this like complex ball screen thing with a handoff thing with Damian Lee and DeAndre Ayton. He ran it, got a mid-range jumper. Tyrese Halliburton was the guy who was going to switch on to Chris Paul after the screen when the screen was coming. So then he cut off the angle and was like, no, you're not going this way. And then DeAndre was like, okay, I'm just going to set the screen right here. And now you're screwed and he can walk into a 14-footer again. Yeah, And that's the type of thing that Chris Paul is going to be able to do for himself more freely with Kevin Durant on the floor. It's going to be easier for him to manipulate the game. I didn't get into that. The part that I got into was we saw... The Mikael Bridges takeover in overtime against San Antonio. I wrote this a couple times. I don't know if I've said it on here, but like, who's quarterbacking that? Who's calling the plays there? It's Chris. Yeah. So imagine him doing that for Kevin Durant at the end of a game. And something Katie mentioned at uh, his availabilities lately has been how Chris unexpectedly, well, like we're in a, we're so surprised, has already been talking to him on the side during practices, games, and that's the type of thing where those two together, like it's. Mikel's, called, Mikel's never been in that spot before, so Chris is going to point it out. But that's it's going to be more of a collaborative effort between those two. And out of everything that I outlined in the story, that's probably the most exciting part for me to watch as a basketball fan. I Yeah, I want to point out that stretch against San Antonio where basically you pointed out Mikel spammed this one play and you think Chris called it and all that. And it was basically a side pick and roll with the other three players on the other side of the court. And they just kept attacking to it because of how the Spurs are playing it. But that's why I'm not, to your point about defense is more important right now, that's why you're not concerned because that's a basic play, right? Like that set you can teach in two minutes to these guys who play basketball for a living. And it's just a matter of like... You can you can call it out. You can go like, um, there's 90 seconds left. They miss, like Sohan misses the pull-up or whatever. Chris can grab the rebound look at Katie and just like gesture side pick and roll empty. Yeah. And they'll know exactly like it's not even a two minute thing. Yeah. Like you're saying so like and especially in playoffs, that's where that's 
like knowing ten, like a hundred plays is not important in the playoffs because one, you have time to play against the same team and scout things, but like that dude is good enough and KD is gonna soak in enough to just do that on the fly mid game. So I don't, I don't think the offensive stuff is gonna be that big of a deal. Um, Especially when you're dealing, like, people are overthinking, and I I guess I'm trying too hard to put off the one ball with three ball handlers, but, like, they can just go into simple pick and rolls and kill teams, depending on how they're doing it, because they're that smart, and that's where you're saying, like, the defense is the big thing in these 20 games left the floor is higher than higher than most team ceilings already on offense the question is how how close can they get to the ceiling in 20 games and also i don't know if the defense just collectively like i know we're like a clippers game into kind of having the other guys that aren't kd like tj and terrence ross but there are a lot more questions there i guess just a lot more of guys i haven't watched enough to know if they're Average defenders, above average, below average, that kind of thing. So I think for our purposes, that's going to be the big watch, right? Um, Even if their offensive's clunky or there's screw-ups going into the playoffs, I wouldn't necessarily be like panicking, I guess I'm going to say. Just how many complexities can they add in these 20 games is more what it's about. Uh, But the thing is, Kevin Durant can be plugged into any spot. If DA is on the floor with him, Durant can still be a screener. This is more of a training camp thing than a 20 games to go in the regular season thing. But I would imagine next year you could do, if DeAndre's comfortable enough with it, Kevin's screening for him. You can do a lot of things. Like teams like OKC just do all this stuff. Like Giddy's screening for everyone. Yeah. Shea's screening for everyone. They, the Suns don't really do that type of stuff. Unless they're matchup hunting, I guess. Unless they're matchup hunting. But with Duran in the fold, they're going to do it a lot more with at least KD, I would assume, and not just for switches. At least they should because it's one of the values. Because, again, anything on the basketball, he's a good screen setter, too. And a lot of this can open up different spots of the floor. Something I pointed out in the DeAndre Ayton section of this story, KD is shooting 58% on post-ups in, for his Brooklyn Nets career. 58% on post-ups. And post-ups usually yield, I would assume, I'm guessing here, but anywhere between... 40 to 50 percent like 58 is crazy that's nuts because it's a lot of tough fall away one-on-one shots but that's exactly what he does the entire time the empty side pick and rolls we were talking about you can run those with him you can run those with him handling the ball you can run one of those with him being the near side kick out which is another thing i pointed out is when he's one pass away guys still forget sometimes they're defending kevin durant because evan mobley's in cleveland zone being like i gotta get to the middle of the Ben Simmons has the ball in the middle floor, but I got to go to the middle floor because that's what I'm supposed to do. And then all of a sudden, Kevin Durant's open for a three. That happens all the time. Devin Booker runs a lot of curling actions. Kevin Durant can curl from the right. He can curl from the left. He can curl from your house, my house. He can curl from anywhere. <laughs> Mikel Bridges, the elbow stuff. That's where like, that's Durant likes to butter. live. Yeah. Those are the, the pin downs where if there was one thing where I went through and I watched like 80% of the shots that Durant made this season... Um, the one consistent thing was a pin down to get him the ball at the free throw line or at the elbow, essentially. And the Suns do much, much more complex things. I didn't write that as a way I compared it to if they're doing rocket science, it was a show and tell volcano from Brooklyn in terms of how inventive it was. And look, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's what I wrote in the story. 
But if you go back in the story, even if you already read it and just watch and really pay attention to how different each variation of the elbow is with what, what Mikel runs, like the first one is exactly what we normally see where Mikel comes around, comes towards the ball handler, swoops to his left and gets into the pull up next time down they're they're uh, overcompensating for that. So instead he goes under and slips under and still gets the same jumper. The next time down he does the same or the next clip, he does the same exact motion but instead he stops at the other elbow comes back around where a screen from Chris Paul is again, like more inventive stuff that they can be doing. And then he gets a dribble handoff from DA and catches it. And then in the last example, he holds it for a dribble handoff with the guard who would be Chris Paul in the situation. They overcommit to the dribble handoff blown switch. He blows by and gets a dunk. Like they, they can do so many things at that elbow spot and he's going to be able to do it pretty seamlessly. And in my opinion, because he's he's Kevin Durant and that's going to be a common theme of sort of the things that we talk about. I. I think one thing on the offense that a lot of people are talking about before we go, we won't even do the there's only one ball shtick. We won't do that. But do you think that they will do a good amount? I don't want to say a lot more. Do you think they will do a lot more isolation with him around? Do you think it'll naturally happen or do you do you think he is going to still score? just about all of his buckets within what the Suns do, which is what Devin Booker does, which is incredibly hard and part of a poll question I put up that I'll talk about here uh, in a second. I don't think it's going to look very different. I think like maybe when the playoffs hit and it's like crunch time defenses and he just starts like, give me the balling, he might do that. But I, I don't think of him as a guy who's going to come in and just like break things. And I, I think... A lot of people would agree with me on that, and I think the Mikel Bridges elbow stuff in what you wrote is going to be kind of more the, this is your play call for you, and that's not one-on-one stuff at all. And yeah, end of shot clock, sure, but I don't think this offense is going to look very different at all. According to playtype uh, data on NBA.com, again, not quite 100% accuracy here, so take it with a grain of salt, but it does indicate a pretty dramatic difference. Brooklyn is third in the frequency of possessions that are isolation. It's 10%, which is very high. The Suns have the third least. They're at 4.1% in terms of the amount of isolating that they do. Yeah. I'm guessing the Suns will be closer to 9% than 4%. That's kind of what I mean. But are they going to all of a sudden be doing it like, that's, all the time. That's actually like, I mean, that's a pretty low percentage already, right? Dallas, for example, does 12.7% of isolation. <laughs> I wonder I, why. I, I believe isolation just refers to like there's no ball screen coming in. It's like he has the ball there. Just clear do, out, yeah. If I do pick and roll ball handler by frequency, for example, I'm guessing like the difference between Phoenix and Brooklyn, like Brooklyn's second lease in terms of how many once they run with a ball screen, but they don't run a ball screen because Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving will get doubled. So there's probably just, like flaws to that tracking data, but also you understand why Dallas is number one. So I, I believe those numbers are pretty make sense. I spent like eight minutes of brain cells trying to figure out how to word this in a way that made sense. And it just didn't make sense in a column. But pretty much everyone needs a ball screen now. But Kevin Durant doesn't need a ball screen. He just doesn't. He can just score over a guy. He just and in, but it's still the better world, with the ball screen. <laughs> it's better with the ball screen, but in a world where you need ball screens for pretty much everyone, if like you, look, like Devin Booker, if he just scored, there wouldn't be much of a difference in Ke- in Kevin Durant's splits if he shot purely on isolation as opposed to like with a ball screen. 
I'm guessing it would be the case for a lot of the best scorers in the league, and that includes Devin Booker. Like it's just it's a whole nother I mean it's a whole nother tool set that he's working with because of his size. It's do you, just not do you, yeah, terrible. Like he's there I'm trying to think if there's one player that's even close, like you have an island, you can't bring another guy within six feet. But you like you stuff all the other people on the other side of the floor who can get a, the most accurate shot off. It's got to be him. Book wanted to keep it to himself today. I'll have to go back and listen exactly. But he indicated that like, yes, he spent quite a bit of time here uh, in the facility in Phoenix with Kevin Durant there. Yeah. And they worked out a bit together. Now, how much? What were they doing? I don't know. They were playing some one on one. And then I asked, like, how was the scoreboard looking on that? And Book said, that's our business, which correct it is. But. <laughs> I, I thought I'd ask just what, to see if what anything else would come out of that. But uh, yeah, he's in the right environment. Like they were, they were getting back at it already. De- DeAndre said this morning when he came in, or one of the mornings he came in this week, he got there early like he normally does, and then Kevin Durant was almost done with his workout already when he got there. <laughs> yeah, so not there early enough, I guess. So he'll he'll begin there earlier. DeAndre <laughs> described it as less smiles around here, which is. A lot of what we talked about the last week, what we were expecting. Who do you think, when Kevin Durant is active, probably before we podcast next, who do you think is going to have the biggest kind of like role change? I think it's going to be Chris Paul. Chris. Yeah. But uh, I think we, he's fine with that. Brian Windhorst from ESPN was with us in the lobby, and I told him I'm guessing like nine shots a game for Chris the rest of the year, maybe. And then Windhorst, who, who knows this league far better than me, was like, I don't even know if he's going to get to nine. Like, it's just... Because he was talking about the New Orleans teams, how spread it, Tyson Chandler screen, David West pops, shooter. Here's shooter. the fun thing, though. When you get to teams who are like, put our best defenders on Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, we need to have a big on DeAndre Ayton. At some point, you're going to hit a team who won switch, and it's your very, very worst defender who can't defend Chris Paul coming off a screen on the elbow. And they're just going to get to that. And I, I feel like he's going to have a couple games where he's just like, this is my game. I'll, I'll just do the thing now. And then Kevin Durant and Book will be sitting off watching this happen. I think that's going to happen. And they're just going to have games like the Sacramento game on steroids, though, where it's yeah. like, oh, you guys are daring DeAndre Aiden to beat you. OK, yeah, he's going to drop 29 on you. And Book that's and gonna KD are going to have like, like, I would not want to own Devin Booker or Kevin Durant in fantasy right now. Probably not. No, actually. Yeah. To end on the offensive note and end on the podcast, the reason why I I wanted to project and see how people right now thought about the who's going to score more Kevin Durant or Devin Booker thing. And I think you can go both ways. I think that Kevin Durant is obviously, um, if you put it like on paper, just flat out stated, Kevin Durant's going to average more points per game. But I also think that he is going to assimilate a lot and he's going to defer a lot. If you've never seen a superstar assimilate to a team before, you know what they do a lot? They just pass the ball. They're just like, nope, don't want to overstep. Go ahead. Your guys is your barn. Don't want to don't want to do too much here. And that is something that he is going to do a bit, but not to a point where it's a detriment to the team. But just expect him to be more than happy to man. I got to learn what it means when we what red is what we call switch. Like, you know what I mean? Like he's got he's got stuff to like figure out in the meantime that he he probably wants to like get comfortable with while he's there. So I, I think a lot of that is going to happen. But at the same time, I do think Duran is going to be the primary option within the offense. But then again, my brain goes, oh, well, that's going to open a lot more for Devin Booker anyway. So like, isn't he going to score yeah. more? 
There's uh, there's probably going to be within five games of him coming back, Monty or someone seeing like, yeah, we were telling Kevin to shoot more. Like, I think that's going to happen too. There's an outcome where they both average thirty a game in the last twenty games. It's it's a very high ceiling, but it's that's one of the higher ceilings, of course. I'm going to preface that twice, but it's not impossible with how much they're going to help each other. He is never to end uh, with our Australian correspondent, David, what he tweeted and what I included in that story. He's never played with a, a gravitation field, mobile, big like DeAndre, no where offense. when he rolls, Kevon Looney. shout out Nanad Kristich, shout oh. out, not shout out Enos Cantor, screw him, shout <laughs> out Kendrick Perkins, shout out um, oh. Zaza Pachulia. They were not. Mm. You weren't forcing the low man over when he was. When those guys, you'll were get rolling. there when you get there. You'll you can take your time. Um, and then Chris Paul, like he's never played with a pass. He's played with assist guys like him, like James Harden, Russell Westbrook, sure. But if pass first, I'm manipulating the game. Floor general, he hasn't. So we're gonna see what it does for his game, and I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna explode. I think he's gonna be insane for these twenty games. I I think he's gonna go nuts. Only so many people can go nuts, but I guess the Kings game was a good example of when that team's clicking, uh, your best players go nuts. We're out of time. Hey, if you bought a ticket tomorrow, you get to see Shea Gilders Alexander still. I know that's not Kevin Durant, but if you haven't seen him this year, oh my goodness. I don't feel bad for those people. They don't pay attention. Wow. Shade. The casual (laughs) basketball fan taking a hit. All right. Bye, Kevin. Goodbye.